Well, good morning. It's so uh, good to be home. I just, uh, again, I say the same thing every time. I, I love coming back. I love being here. So many memories. I mean, it's just, uh, it actually gets quite overwhelming at times. And um, you know, Ted Travers and I, we, we were talking a couple of days ago, and I was telling him how, you know, the Lord, you know, you know, you know, we know that the Lord is a person, but I don't think we think about how much of a person he really is. And uh, the context of the conversation was talking about how the Lord has divine memories associated with, ge- with geographical lo- uh, locations. Uh, that just like we um, go to a place and all of a sudden our minds get flooded with memories because of significant things that happen in a particular area, um, the Lord has that with us. I believe with every single one of us, there are uh, meaningful things that happened in our lives in, in very specific places, and the Lord has divine memories, if I can use that language, attached to that geographical area. And sometimes, and sometimes we've forgotten them, sometimes we, we remember them, but the Lord remembers every single one of them. Uh, there are places in our lives, in our journey, that are near and dear to him. And, uh, and Melbourne is one of those places for me and him. This is a place that is near. And this morning I was, uh, you know, just asking the Lord, I go, Lord, why are you wanting me to keep emphasizing this uh, to the people here? And uh, um, because he really wants you to know how near and dear you are to him and how near and dear um, this area is to him. And uh, um, you suffer by comparison. And... uh, and you, as a result, uh, at, at times miss out of the zeal and the passion and the desire and the longing and the plan and the purposes that he has uh, for you in this county. And uh, um, Isaiah 9, 7, the zeal, of the, Lord of the, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Um, he will manifest um, himself to you and through you, uh, for the sake of his son's name. Uh, Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew 24, and uh, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, who you are. Father, we say that your nearness is our good. Father, thank you for uh, sending your son, granting us access, Father, to your glorious throne. Father, I ask you, Lord, in these next few moments, Lord, that you would uh, increase, Father, the realm of revelation on our hearts, on our minds. Father, Psalm uh, 119, verse 18, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to your law to see glorious and marvelous things. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, well, uh, I'm not going to uh, take a lot of time looking at Matthew 24. I just want to give a, I just want to kind of mention some uh, preliminary thoughts. What I'd like to talk about this morning is about the subject of the realm of God's fire or the realm of God's love as the thing that we really want to uh, pursue in the grace of God in light of the things that are taking place um, really uh, in this nation and in the nations of the earth. Now, Matthew 24, it's a familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of you, is where Jesus uh, just gives line upon line descriptions of a very unique social, political, economic, international dynamics that will take place in the generation of his return. It's the, it is the most intense global dynamics and trends that will take place. Uh, secondly, the second point I want to make is that the epistles, when the apostle Paul and Peter and John, those guys, when they write their epistles, believe it or not, they are writing to prepare and to equip the church for the dynamics that are described in, in, in chapters like, uh, like, like Matthew 24. Okay? And so Jesus says, look, this is what things are going to look like in a generation of my return. By the way, there are at least 150, but there's actually more chapters in the scripture that describe the, the generation of the Lord's return. But the thing that is so amazing is that the writings of the apostles actually serve as a roadmap in terms of how we are to respond in the midst of those dynamics and how the church can be a vibrant witness um, uh, 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 during those days. Now, if you've got, I, I have some notes. If you, you can pull them out of the bulletin if you want them, because I'm going to go through these notes here. Uh, but in page one, page one, paragraph A, uh, Jesus himself, and again, Matthew 24 is one of these places, uh, he prophesied that there is coming a time of great pressure on the earth. Great, great, great pressure on the earth. Um, I don't want to uh, be insensitive about 2020 and the pandemic and just all the different dynamics that have taken place, but, but this is not what Jesus spoke of. In other words, what Jesus spoke of is way more intense than 2020. It's, it's beyond anything that the world has seen or will see again. Jesus makes it very clear in, uh, in verse uh, uh, 21 that it will be the most intense time in human history. Jesus didn't just teach this. Jesus prophesied this. And in those days, what will happen is uh, many will be gripped, according to the words of Jesus, by four predominant negative emotions. They're not the only ones, but there are four negative emotions that will plague the earth in those days. The first one is, the, is fear. The second one is offense. The third one is lust. And the third one is deception. Fear, offense, lust, deception. Those are the four predominant negative emotions that will... Uh, plague the hearts of many in the earth in the midst of that pressure and in the midst of that crisis. Now, there are tons of reasons why this happens, but I want to highlight two reasons why 
these negative emotions begin to plague the human heart. The first one is, is because they, these are hearts that are disconnected from cultivating a vibrant relationship and intimacy with Jesus. Actually cultivating a life of intimacy with Jesus, where our internal atmosphere, our internal conditions gets transformed and formed into the likeness of Christ. The second reason for these negative emotions is because there is a significant disconnect from the plan of God. And so when we're disconnected from the plan of God or the narrative of God, or the way the scripture calls it, the gospel, the gospel is not only the message of God's forgiveness, it, it is the entire unfolding of God's plan of redemption for the earth. There is an entire narrative, there's a whole storyline connected to it, and when we're not connected with that plan, when we're not connected with that storyline, then other storylines begin to dominate our thinking. Only problem is, is that uh, all of these storylines, they are rooted in, in temporal thinking, they are birthed in the flesh, they come from the kingdom of this world, and therefore the end of the line of those narratives, there is no hope. There is no redemption, and therefore there is no future. And so our hearts get really into a conundrum. And so the, the, the two things that are really, really critical for us in this hour is that we would uh, continue just to cultivate our intimacy with the Lord, just to continue to, we say it all the time, it's not a religion, not a relationship. Well, let's do the relationship thing. Let's really just, you know, continue to cultivate, receive of his love, experience his love, give of his love, and so forth. And secondly, growing in understanding of what it is that God's plan is. It's a very interesting verse. I don't have it on the notes, but it's in Jeremiah 23, verse 20. Jeremiah 23, verse 20, it's a prophetic promise for the church where the Lord tells Jeremiah that the people of God will have perfect understanding of his thoughts, of his hearts. The plans of God will be, you know, because again, you know, when we think about the plan of God, you know, it's, and, and I, get, I get it, there's things that we don't know, but we, but the Lord says, yes, but there are aspects of my plan. Not only will you know them, he says you will know them perfectly. Jeremiah 23, 20. And that's what we're talking about um, when I'm talking about, about being connected with the storyline is that as we grow in our understanding from the word of God, what it is that God is up to, where this thing is going, why it is heading that way, it just brings clarity and it brings stability to our hearts. In, Jer in Isaiah 33 verse, uh, uh, verse 6, it says that wisdom and knowledge are the stability of the times. And I really believe that that is part of where this thing is going for the body of Christ, is that as the, the, the sea of the nations, so to speak, as the storm continues to brew, there will be a stabilizing force in the midst of it called the body of Christ who have wisdom and knowledge, and therefore we have stability um, in the midst of the times. Now, the prophet Isaiah, in paragraph B, he said that the... Times that are coming are so intense, he says that even young people 
will faint in the midst of the pressure. And the reason why he says even uh, youth is because when speaking of youth, you're talking about vim, vigor, vitality, idealism. There's something within youthfulness that allows uh, 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 people to withstand certain pressures. But Isaiah says, he says, no, he says the pressure that is coming is, is so intense, Isaiah 40, verse 30, he says, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. But, but in paragraph C, the prophet in verse 31 of Isaiah 40, he gives us the answer. He, he doesn't leave us without an answer of how to live in the midst of the coming pressure. And it's, again, it's a very familiar verse. Is waiting on the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I'm trying to decide here. Well, you know what? I'm going to go for it anyway. Um, the, a couple of verses before, the Lord says something um, uh, very interesting uh, to the prophet. Let me just turn to Isaiah 40. Let's go there for a second. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verse uh, 28. Isaiah 40, verse 28. He says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? That's, just remember, remember that phrase, because in verse 31, he talks about not fainting and growing weary, but it actually starts in verse 28, by talking about the Lord who never grows tired nor grows weary. Verse 29, the one who does not grow tired nor weary is the one, verse 29, who gives power to the weak. And, and I love this here. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Now, now I want you to catch the paradox of this for a second. He says, of those who have no might, zero, he increases. In other words, there is nothing there, but there's an increase. Usually to have an increase, something has to be there. That something has to be in order to increase, but here there's nothing, and he brings increase. And the reason why is because he's talking about the God of Genesis 1, the creator who makes things out of nothing. So what he's saying here is that the creative power of Genesis 1 is the power that is released in the heart and the soul that waits upon him. And there is an exchange of divine, uh, uh, there's, there, there, uh, there's an exchange that takes place where his strength truly becomes our strength. And because he doesn't faint, we won't faint. And because he doesn't grow weary, we don't grow weary. But here is the condition. We must live a life of waiting on the Lord. Yeah. Waiting on the Lord, um, prayer, intimacy, gazing, soaking, if you're Baptist, quiet time, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's all the same thing. It's being before God and talking to him. Okay. 
So the prophet Isaiah, he in a gifts the end time church this vision that we are to wait on the Lord expend, uh, and experiencing what I like to call this Trinitarian conversation between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll talk a little bit more about it in just a few moments. The Spirit calls the church to her inheritance, which is primarily the experiencing of God's love in the context of Trinitarian fellowship. Beloved, that is our primary inheritance. It is to experience, to receive, and to express the love that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, one of my, uh, one of my favorite things to think about is, um, is the Lord's baptism. Now think about this. You know, the theologians talk about this 400 years of silence uh, between uh, Malachi and Matthew. 400 years where there's no, there's no prophetic revelation, they say, that happened during those 400 years. Jesus is about to get baptized. And now here's the deal. Now the Romans are the ones that are in power. Up until that point, probably the most oppressive regime in human history. I mean, the Roman Caesars who were narcissists on steroids with with, uh, with God complexes, the immorality of the the gladiator systems, the vomitoriums, the prostitution, um, the, the way they dealt with criminals. At one point in Israel, uh, they had, the Romans had crucified up to 6,000 people, and they were all lined up for, for 100 miles. And so it is a, it, it, here's this heavy, unjust, oppressive and, uh, a, 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 a government system around the time of Christ. No prophetic revelation. Jesus comes on the scene. I want you to catch this. Jesus comes on the scene. He gets baptized. And God the Father speaks audibly for the first time. Amen. And what comes out of his mouth is, I love him. Amen. He doesn't say Caesar. He doesn't say masks, vaccine. Okay, now we're getting personal. He didn't say none of that. He goes, let's get one thing very clear. I love him. And he said it audibly. Audibly. Because that is the primary inheritance that the Lord wants to bring his people into is the love relationship between the Father and the Son, and the Son to the Father, and us experiencing that, and us expressing that back to them, and then us expressing that to one another, called fellowship, and then expressing it to the world, called being a witness, called, being, uh, called evangelism. It is the primary inheritance that is before us, And so Jesus, he warns us about these these negative emotions. In Matthew 24, verse 12, 
Again, a familiar passage, it says, And lawlessness uh, will abound, and the love of many will grow cold. I spent a lot of time thinking about this verse, and I, I, I was awakened to a surprise. And the surprise is that looking at the culture, I never thought that cold love would look this passionate. I want to say this again. Cold love looks passionate. We are living in a time when cold love is manifesting itself. The exact opposite of what Paul speaks to us about in 1 Corinthians. What is cold love? It's impatient. What is cold love? It's unkind. What is cold love? It's when we no longer believe all things. It's when we no longer hope all things. What is cold love? It's when we keep a record of wrong. And the things that are happening within the culture it's all of these things that we described, but it's crept within the midst of the saints as well. But here's what Jesus says. He gives the reason for why love grows cold. He says it's because of lawlessness. Now, what is this lawlessness? I'd like for us to maybe think a little bit differently about what I think he mean, what he means by lawlessness. When we think about lawlessness, we think about riots. I think that is part of lawlessness. When we think about lawlessness, we think about um, uh, uh, natural laws within our cities, within a nation that are against the word of God. I think that is lawlessness, and I think that's very, very real. But I think Jesus is talking about a different kind of lawlessness. I think he's talking about where the law of God, the word of God itself, gets dismissed. And when it gets dismissed by the people of God themselves. The only way that we can grow in this love, the experiencing of this love, is by giving ourselves to his word. Giving ourselves to his law. When we're talking about the realm of God's fire, the the on-ramp, so to speak, into the realm or the experience of God's fire is the word of God. Paragraph E. The Father's answer is an end-time witness. The, and, um, the answer to the love that is growing cold within the culture is by actually having a witness that operates in the opposite spirit. A couple of days ago, I was talking with uh, uh, one of my friends and some of the, one of the leaders over there, over in Kansas City, and uh, and I said, you know, I said the the thing that we have to remember is that the church and foremost is first and foremost the community of the forgiven. We are the community of the forgiven who received from his forgiveness, and therefore we are to extend his forgiveness.
That's who we are first and foremost. And, um, and even when we speak of the, um, again, there are many, many, many things that are taking place in the church. There are many, many, many things that are taking place in the culture that we as a prophetic witness are to speak of and are to address. But it is so important, beloved, that we do it according to the gospel, that we do it according to the revelation of the cross, that we do it according to the understanding that we have had this inward determination to not know anything except Christ and am crucified. And so it's the Father's desire to, to bring the church into this place of everlasting burnings, the Trinitarian fellowship, where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit dwell together in love, in the eternal flame of love, and receive the impartation of that fire, and experience that fire, and to express that fire. Let's go to the next page. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24 the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. In John 17, uh, Jesus says that I've manifested your name to them. What we'll find is that the name of God and the realm of his fire or the revelation of his love, the knowing of God himself, is what brings us into the experience of that fire because he is a consuming fire. Now, the prophet Moses, he was the, uh, the first one to, um, from what I can tell, he was the first one to encounter this realm of fire. Moses was the first one. And it happened in the context of God revealing to Moses his name. Um, instead of saying God's name, we can say God's identity, uh, who he is. When I think of the name of God, I think of basically three things. I think, one, of his personality or his attributes. Number two, I think of his power, his ability. And then thirdly, I think of his purpose. His personality, power, and purpose, these three together, they comprise his name. And so when we're talking about knowing God, we're talking about knowing his person. We're talking about knowing and sharing in his power. We never become God, but he shares his power with his people. And thirdly, we're talking about his purpose, understanding what it is that he's up to, and then our partnership and our cooperation with him in the midst of understanding that purpose. And so the Lord declares to Moses um, his name. Now, the divine name, paragraph A, that's revealed is uh, that of Yahweh, where Moses experienced the, the vastness, the majesty, or the transcendence, the holy otherness of who God is. And when God revealed the divine name, in that he also revealed himself to Moses as the God of zealous love. Because he came to him in the burning bush. He came to him in fire in Exodus 3. But Deuteronomy 4.24, the Lord tells Moses that 
that fire wasn't just fire, it was his very nature as the jealous God. The God who is deeply and passionately and wholeheartedly committed to his people. And so Moses is in the wilderness. God appears to him, declares to him his, declares to him his name, while at the same time revealing his fire to him. The divine name, Yahweh, paragraph B, is filled with uh, awe and is filled with mystery. But there's a realm of fire associated with the revealing of his name. When we experience glimpses of who God is through his word, when who he is, his personality, or when his power, or when his purpose is just opened up to us just a little bit, I believe there is a corresponding revelation of his love that comes with that. In um, paragraph B, again, there's a divine name, there's uh, uh, awe and mystery associated with the name. There's a realm of fire associated with the revealing of the name. I am that I am. He says, what does it mean? It, it speaks of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit as the source, the creator, the sustainer, the completer of all things related to human affairs. How many of you know, oh, Lord Jesus, help me, but I done cried, and those of you know me well, when I go there, something else kicks in. How many of you know that God raises up kings and tears them down? Yes. Raise your hand. Okay. Now, here's the thing that's crazy. It says right here that the Godhead, Yahweh, he is intensely involved in the affairs of man. The thing that is so amazing about the Lord is how he uses our really poor decisions, and somehow it results in this perfect will. I, I, you know, I have a, my, my sister Naomi, most of you know her, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, my sister, she and, uh, uh, got pregnant while she was in college, you know, got a little too excited, um, doing a few things she shouldn't be doing, and uh, she got pregnant with my niece, Mahan, just precious Girl, now she's married and she's got two kids. And uh, I, I'll never forget praying for her while my sister was pregnant and, and just really, you know, seeking the Lord for her and asking the Lord to help her. And the Lord spoke to me something very, very interesting. He said, you know that Psalm 139 is true about your niece. In other words, when my sister was in sin, which she was, and conceived, heaven didn't go, okay, wait a minute, Jesus, you, hey, grab me that notepad real quick, because we gotta, we got to start scribbling a storyline here real quick for this little girl. In other words, what the Lord was telling me it was, and became very important for her in her, her in her teen years, he goes, she has to know that even though her mom was in sin, she is not a mistake. And so the Lord has a really interesting way of looking at our sin, 
our corruption and all this kind of stuff and have what he wants. God raises up kings and he tears them down. We got to stop belly aching about whether the election got stolen or not. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. He raises up kings and he tears them down. And corruption, intrigue, all of these things that are very real, somehow in his divine brilliance, he still will get this nation and he will get the nations on the earth on a trajectory that will lead to the consummation of his kingdom on this earth. I can already hear some of you. You're going, well, what I go, you're, if, you're, if you are troubled about what I just said, you've got to go read your Bible. No, no, I, I don't, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be helpful. No, really, I'm trying to be helpful. Because we cannot go another 10 years as believers, as unsettled as our unbelieving neighbors. We have to have a different anchor. Now, for those of you in a little trouble, you wonder where I'm standing. Listen, I became a U.S. citizen in 2010. The very first thing I did is when I walked out of the court, I went and got registered to vote. I'm not saying that we don't get involved in these things. I'm talking about a gospel perspective. I'm not talking about our civic duty right now. I'm talking about a gospel perspective. I'm talking about Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul says this. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Hold on a second, because we usually use that verse for pornography and thinking dirty thoughts. That is not what Paul is talking about. He says, we cannot have our thinking be driven by the narrative of the culture in which we live, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of the mind, and it needs to be transformed according to Romans chapter 11, verse 25, which is the mystery that was kept secret. So that is the thing that is to orient our thinking so that we can offer our lives as living sacrifices, so that we can associate with the lowly, so that we can not repay evil for evil and operate in the gifts according to the measure of faith that is given to us, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12. He's Yahweh, the source, the creator, the sustainer, the completer of all things related to human affairs or creation, which have their motion, their development, and their existence in him. In John chapter 17, Jesus, the greater Moses, he declared, and he came to manifest to us the name of his father. John 17, 6, he manifested the name 
John 17, 12, he says that we are kept, we are protected according to that name. John 17, 26, he declares to us that name. In the Old Testament, God was revealed as Yahweh, again, as the source, the sustainer of all. But in the New Testament, this is where it gets to Mufasa. <laughs> but we find out that this one called Yahweh is a father. He is a father. And he has a son. And they are in relationship with each other along with the Spirit. There's a, fam there's a divine family that is at the center of everything that is happening right now. And the Lord is inviting us to, to lift up our eyes and to get more and more connected with the conversation that's happening with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father is the I Am. The Son is the I Am. The Spirit is the I am. But the Father is also consumed with fire. Deuteronomy 4.24, that he says, I'm a jealous God, I'm a consuming fire. The Father is on fire, according to the scripture. Ezekiel, the Son, is on fire. Revelation 5, 4, the Spirit is on fire. Everlasting burnings. Jer uh, Isaiah 33, 6, who among us can dwell, verse 12, excuse me, can dwell among everlasting burnings? Who can live in the eternal fellowship of the eternal flame? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's the place where in intimacy where the Lord is calling us to, uh, uh, to live and to abide, to overcome the coldness of love that is brewing within the culture. The primary on-ramp into the realm of fire is by dialoguing with God through the Word. Jeremiah 23, 29. Um, is not my word like a fire, he told the prophet. Luke 24, did not our hearts burn as he opened up the scriptures to us? Let's go to the next page. So one of, the, um, one of my favorite places to go to when talking about the love of God or the realm of his fire is John chapter 13 to 17. John chapter 13 to 17. My favorite portion of the scripture has been for almost 30 years. I just absolutely love what is found there. There is so much gold, uh, so much insight to, found, to be found there about 
the relationship between the Father and the Son, uh, the access that we have to them, their desire to relate with us, the, uh, their desire for us to live in unity with uh, one another, uh, their desire to uh, release uh, the anointing, thank you, Chris, uh, to release the, uh, the greater works than these uh, uh, through his people. It, it, it gives you insight of how to deal uh, with betrayal. Um, uh, that is one of the themes that you find in John 13 to 17. You know, it struck me the other day that the cancel culture is, um, is, is slipping into becoming the betrayal culture. You know, I mean, here in the last, I mean, I would go, don't want to go into all of it, but in the last couple of weeks, I'm still going, man, these people are throwing each other under the bus. I said, what is happening? You know, and so the cancel culture has begun to betrayal culture. But the thing we've got to be careful with is that if the spirit of the cancel culture has touched the church, we need to be careful that the spirit of the betrayal culture doesn't touch the church either. So we have to be careful. But the good news is that if you find yourself in that unfortunate situation of Betrayal, John chapter 13 to 17 equips the heart to actually walk in love and to walk in power in the midst of betrayal. So let's just kind of go through this just real quickly here. Uh, the primary theme of, that Jesus speaks to his disciples about is, an, um, uh, uh, is, is the subject of God's love and God's glory. John chapter 13 to 17, the subject of God's love and God's glory. And so again, when we're talking about the realm of God's fire, I cannot think of a better place, in my opinion and in my personal experience, of John chapter 13 to 17 that just, just gives us line upon line of understanding about the love of God and his, his glory. Now, Jesus' main objective is to, in these passages is to lead us into the revelation of God's divine love and the experiencing of his glory that he possessed or his presence that he possessed before the foundations of the earth. In John 13 to 17, we see so much about our destiny, about what it is that Jesus is actually purchased for us at Calvary and the thing that is made available to us in this life not just the age to come. That we're called into this eternal fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. 1 John 1.4, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. John 17.22, and the glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. As love in our culture and the world continues to grow cold, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that relationship that Jesus just gives line upon line insight into in John 13, 17, I believe becomes the model of how we as the people of God are to relate with one another. The Trinity, the relationship between the Father and the Son. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll share this. I had something happen to me uh, back in, in, in April. Um, the, uh, Jesus says in John 15, 9, 
He says, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then he says, abide in my love. So the love that he calls us to live in and, in to, and to interact with is the exact same love that the Father has towards the Son. Now think about this. Jesus says, my Father loves me, and in the exact same way that my Father loves me is the way that I love you. And then he says, I want you to, I want you to abide there. In other words, I want you to live there. In other words, I want you to think about it often. I want you to talk about it often. I want you to study it. I want you to camp out there. He goes, live there. Abide in my love. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. He goes, abide there. Live there. And so, you know, I'm just kind of thinking through this and just kind of, just in a fresh way. It's about 2 o'clock in the morning. I, I in a, uh, happened to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I'm thinking about this verse. This verse is on my mind. And so I just decided, you know what? I'm up. Anyway, it's probably going to take me another 40 minutes or so before I fall asleep. So and, uh, I just started talking to the Lord about that verse. I said, Father, you love your son. And I said, all I said was, all I said was, Father, show me how much you love your son. Oh, my. No, no, no. I mean, the waves, it, it, it truly is indescribable Amen. of his love, his pleasure that was just coursing in my spirit. It caught me by surprise. I was expecting, you know, praying for six months and then, you know, maybe uh, some touch happens to their worship. You know, I was not expecting that at all. You know, so this is not kind of like the world that I live in. I want to be very clear about that. But I was just getting touched. Well, at the same time, I get a text from a friend of mine who lives south from here in Fort Pierce. And she goes, I'm up. And she goes, I am pacing in my living room. And all I'm saying is, Lord, grace upon Stuart. 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 And as she is prophesying grace over me down south, the Lord is actually answering. I'm not, anyway, you get the picture, right? But what did I learn that day? That the love that the father has for his son is the grace of God. That when we're talking about the experience of God's grace, we're talking about the part, it's other things about the grace of God, but it, but it includes the experiencing of the Father's affection for his Son. Because Jesus goes on to say, that is how I love you. I go, Lord, this is interesting. He goes, so in other, in other, in other words, for me to understand Jesus, how you love me, I can understand how the Father loves you. He goes, yeah. He goes, oh, this is getting interesting.
Jesus later on takes it a step up in John 17, 23. He says, not only does the Father, not only do I love you the way the Father loves me, John 17, 23, he says, the Father loves you the way the Father loves me. It's absolutely amazing. That is the inheritance I really believe that the Lord is calling us to, to live in and to pursue. The paragraph C, all right, we'll end it with this. John 13 to 17, I just gave like a brief outline of it for you, for those of you interested. In John 13 to 17, Jesus envisions, calls, and equips the church to engage with God in order to walk fully, I believe, in five components of the love of God. Component number one is God's love for God. God's love for God is seen as the love of the Father for the Son, the love of the Son for the Father, the love of the Spirit for the Father, and so forth. Secondly, God's love for us. Second component, the experiencing of God's love for us. Thirdly, the experiencing of God's love in us towards God. So it's one thing to experience God's love for God. It's another thing to experience God's love for us. It's another thing to experience the extension of that love back to God. Fourthly, God's love in us towards one another. So we experience God's love for God. We experience God's love for us. We experience God's love that we have towards God. And then we experience that same love towards one another. And then the fifth component is God's love in us for a hostile world. God's love in us towards a hostile world as an apostolic witness. And John 13 to 17 addresses all of these uh, different components. All right, I just want to invite you to stand. This is an absolute fact. I've, um, you know, I sweat from time to time while preaching. But I've never used a handkerchief ever, not once. <laughs> Just like the, you know, those Pentecostal preachers. <laughs> and it's because of Chris. <laughs> I said, man, I said, oh man, glory. <laughs> Let's just wait on the Lord. Father, we, Lord, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we say your nearness is our good.
Father, the love that you have for your son, you show it to us. Show us more. Let us experience of that love. Release your fire, Lord. Right now, Lord. A spirit of burning. Release it. Right now, Lord. Release the wind and release the fire right now, Lord. Jesus. Increase it, Lord, more. Some of you are beginning to experience a bit of the weight of his presence and a, and a sense of fire that are burning you, feeling in your body. Lord, we ask you for more. more, Lord. The realm of fire. The realm of revelation of your word. More, Lord. If you're beginning to experience the, just a manifest sense of the Lord's presence touching you and you'd like to receive prayer, so I invite you to come to the front. We're going to pray for you. Just keep waiting on the Lord. We're just going to just ask the Lord just to begin moving. Some of you are, some of you are sensing that fire uh, touching you even now. These are tokens, I believe, of what it is that the Lord is doing in all of us. You know, some of us will experience it, some of us won't. But um, again, when the Lord manifests us on several people, he's saying, hey, just kind of focus on praying for these people. But it is a grace that I'm re releasing in the room. And so I want to encourage you just to stay connected with the Lord. Don't, uh, don't check out. Lord, I ask you for more, Lord. Increase your fire right now, Lord. More. The realm of fire, release it right now, Lord. More, increase. Also, want to take a moment and uh, again just stay focused on the Lord. There's been um, a some who you uh, um, you you know in your heart you you're convinced in your heart of the fact that God loves you. You know that. However, um, you've been in a bit of an extended season where, on an emotional level, uh, you're getting hit in such a way where. It's questioning that, and so you've not lost sight of the knowledge of it, but the, but it's it's a, there, there's warfare associated. There's been a heaviness associated with it, accusations of the evil one about the love of God, and the Lord really wants, to, I believe, wants to release a breakthrough uh, this morning in that area. So if that's you, I'd like to see prayers. I invite you to come to, uh, come to the front as well.
This is not about you doubting the love of God. It's just the battle has been so fierce in the emotions about the love of God. And the Lord wants to release a breakthrough. Father, in the name of Jesus, release the power of the blood right now. Lord, we silence the accuser. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome him by the testimony of your goodness in and through our lives. We overcome him by taking up the cross. We silence the voice of the accuser. We take captive every thought right now in the name of Jesus. Everything that exalts itself against the truth, we take it captive right now. Lord, release your light. Release your truth. Psalm 43, send forth light, send forth truth. Let it lead me into your holy hill. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that those, that, as you bring the breakthrough of the accusations, Lord, you would lead them, Lord, into your presence. Release it, Lord. Lord, increase your fire, Lord. Those who are experiencing tokens of the spirit of burning, increase it right now, Lord. The realm of fire, more. 